Welcome to Photo Taco, the only show with photography tips you can learn in the time it takes to eat a taco. Or perhaps a burrito. Photo Taco! Hey everybody, welcome into another episode of Photo Taco on the Improved Photography Network. Thanks for spending a few minutes of your day with me. I'm your host, Jeff Harmon, and has, as has become usual, <laughs> easy for me to say, there are a couple of items we need to go over before getting to the listener-suggested topic for today's episode. First off is the first-ever Improved Photography Retreat. There'll be classes by me and the rest of the Improved Photography gang, like Jim Harmer, Nick Page, Erica Kaufman, Connor Hibbs, and a bunch of other star-studded guests. Tickets are limited, and I think there's less than 50 at the time of the recording here in October 2016, early October 2016. But check it out. Go to improvephotographyretreat.com and sign up today to come shoot with me and the others in March 2017 in Arizona. It's going to be fun. Second thing is a chance for you to help me out with something for a podcast later in October 2016. Might end up being early November 2016. I'm doing some serious testing of the JPEG Mini product. You don't even know what that is yet, and you don't even have to use it. You just have to spend a few minutes comparing some images for me. If you go to bit.ly slash L-R-V-J Mini, that's Lightroom versus J Mini, L-R-V-J Mini, you'll see the instructions of what I want you to do. Go compare some images for me. I'm going to close the crowdsourcing part of this project on October 15th, 2016. So head over there if you have a few minutes. I'd really appreciate the help. All right, now for today's topic. Rob Mosley suggested for the episode, he said, practical usage of the bracketing feature. Example, typical settings for different situations. When to use 3F, 2F, etc. I sometimes use bracketing, but I'm never really quite sure what settings to use. Wonderful question, Rob. Thank you so much. He, he submitted that through the Facebook group at facebook.com slash group slash photo taco. Go and join that group today if you are not already a member of that forum. Okay, let's start with the question about how many and how far apart to make the brackets. The first thing I want to say about this is to echo a mantra from our friend, Tony Northrup. Love Tony, and he puts out some excellent content I make sure to keep up on. He, he roughly said that you, a lot of photographers, you really kind of need to make a choice between time and money, meaning that you can spend a lot of money on gear and reduce the time it takes to get photos, or you can spend less money on the gear and far more time to get roughly the same, in some cases better, results. In fact, to prove it, he went out and he and Chelsea went out and shot a Nikon D810 versus a $100 Pentax K200, which of course don't even compare in their quality. But he was able with a bunch of pro post-processing time, able to get the image just as sharp and with even better shadows by using both image averaging and panorama stitching, some advanced techniques there out of the K200. And uh, so you can hit up the link in the show notes to find his YouTube video on it. I recommend checking it out. Really well done example about this time versus money trade-off and how that can happen. So why do I bring that up? How does it apply to Rob's question? Tony didn't even use traditional HDR techniques in that video. But what I want to point out right up front is that the reason to do bracketing in the first place is to overcome weaknesses of the sensor and or lenses in your camera. 
even with the very best of equipment, there's going to be scenes you really can't capture in a single shot. But even with the very best of equipment, there will be scenes you can't capture in a single shot. But it's getting to be less and less a problem as manufacturers keep releasing better and better sensors. But the reason I do a lot of bracketing, it's kind of twofold. First off, the crop sensor in my beloved Canon 7D Mark II, yeah, it just doesn't do very well in the way of dynamic range, handling high dynamic range, meaning that it doesn't do a great job of capturing the scene where there's a really big difference between the darkest dark and the brightest bright in the scene. About half the time, if I shoot to the right, that's... Uh, technique I describe in another photo taco episode that you can find by searching photo space taco space ettr if you go into google photo space taco space ettr you'll find it but I can get enough room to post process the image how I want out of a single raw file about half the time maybe a little more I'm finding it increasing in the 70 mark II over the the 60d I had before I can get a few more cases where uh, where I can do it out of a single file. But shooting multiple shots at the same scene as fast as I can at different exposure settings helps me like the other half of the time when a single raw file doesn't quite get me what I need. Then I, I, if I have those bracketed shots, I can overcome that limitation. So I'm, I'm trading time for money by knowing that I'm gonna spend the time to merge the photos together instead of spending the money to get a camera with a sensor better able to handle it. Now, I'm not saying my Canon 7D Mark II is horrible. I still really, really like the camera. And I think it was the perfect choice for me when I got it in 2014. Just saying that as a hobbyist, I'm not spending the thousands of dollars on the body and the lenses that it would take to have the ability to get the shot with a single frame more frequently. I'm willing to trade that limitation and know that I can bracket my way out of it <laughs> and be able to still get really good shots but have to pay the price in doing post-processing, which I actually kind of enjoy. All right, second, most of the time if a landscape scene is really that challenging for my sensor, it's also changing extremely fast. And unless you're in Iceland or Alaska or someplace where sunsets last for a long, long time, that sunrise or sunset is changing fast enough that it's hard to nail the settings on every single exposure. So if I set up the camera to fire off a few frames really fast, I get a few more exposure chances to choose from in post. And if I've missed, if the, the middle shot that I take where I think I'm nailing the exposure settings right how I want it, if it's off, and it's usually off a little bit on the dark side rather than the bright side. But if it's off, I have another frame that the camera automatically took for me that I can choose from. So it's another benefit of doing bracketed shooting because I have a little bit of a fallback to go to if I blow the settings, which is happening less and less. But it happens. Okay, now let's talk about how to briefly to set up your camera to do bracketing. Rob didn't ask for this. I'm just going to throw it in. Kind of some rough instructions about how it happens. You're definitely going to have to go to your user's manual or ask the Google. Google knows all. <laughs> ask the Google about it to figure out how to even set up bracketing for your specific camera model. But um, there's kind of a few steps I'm going to go through that I do with my Canon camera. First step 
is to set the camera's drive mode. Now, drive mode, it, it tells your camera what you want to have happen when you push the shutter button. This is like a full press of the shutter button, not the halfway down, a full press. And if you set it in continuous mode on a Canon camera, then it takes as many frames as it can as you hold down the button, the shutter button, all the way down. Timer mode is where if you push the shutter button all the way down, it will either wait two seconds or 10 seconds. Those are the two options you have on a Canon camera, two or 10, and, uh, and then it will delay that long before it takes a frame. So I set the drive mode to either continuous or two seconds. And the reason to do that is when they are set in one of those two modes, the camera will automatically take your bracketed shots. It will click, 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 take all of your shots. When you press the shutter button once, it will do it. So when would I choose between the two? Well, if I'm hand holding the camera, I definitely would do the two second timer so that I can press the shutter and then I can do everything I can to stabilize myself and let the camera take the shots after two seconds. If I'm on a tripod, then I might use high-speed continuous, but honestly, I still prefer the two-second timer just to make sure that my pressing the shutter button isn't gonna cause any camera shake. Yeah, it's, it's gonna be a lot more rare that pushing, pushing the shutter button is gonna cause camera shake when you're on a tripod, but either way, I still kind of like the two second timer, but continuous will work to make it auto take the time, the shot. What you don't want is the single shot mode where you get one frame every time you push the shutter button because then you still have to push the shutter button for every frame in your bracketing too. With the drive mode set, then the next thing I do is go through the menus to the exposure compensation slash AEB menu item. AEB stands for auto exposure bracketing settings. You'll have to look how to get there on your camera, but in my 7D Mark II, it is the second camera menu over. And I go down to the AB row on that menu screen, and I hit the select button to change it. Then I use the wheel at the top of the camera to set how far apart the brackets should be. More on that in just a second. But once I have that, I hit select again and choose the bracketing. I have forgotten to do that second select hit a lot. <laughs> I've forgotten to do it. I rotate the dial. I think, all right, I'm set up for my bracketing. And then I shoot and I get one frame <laughs> because I forgot to hit select and actually set the setting into the camera to say, yes, I want you to do auto exposure bracketing. So don't forget that. <laughs> There's a little icon that can that will that my Canon 70 Mark II will put on the top LCD screen. It's this little icon that looks like a kind of a gray square on a black square on a white square overlapping each other a little bit as if it's taking three frames and one's in the middle, one's dark and one's light. Anyway, um, not that important. The last thing to do now is just go set up your shot like you normally would. Like forget the fact that the camera is about to take multiple frames with one uh, press of the shutter button and just set up your composition, get the exposure exactly where you think it should be for what you want to do and then take the shot and boop, 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 the camera, click, 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 whatever. The camera will, um, will take multiple exposures of the same scene. So now that we can get to the real question that Rob had, and that's how far apart the, bracket it's, the bracketing should be. 
to talk through that, we kind of have to go a little bit more over the exposure value or EV scale that you see. If you don't know what EV is, do a Google search, photo space, taco space, EV, and find my December 2015 episode where I explained EV, or you can hit up the link in the show notes. For this episode, let's just say it's the scale you get on the camera that's helping you to get the exposure you want. Has a lot of little lines on it, has negative numbers on the left, zero in the middle, positive numbers on the right. Right in the middle where the zero is, that's the quote unquote perfect exposure according to the light meter in your camera and the metering mode that you have picked. If you don't know what metering modes are or light meters, consult the Google and search for photo space, taco space, metering modes or check the show notes for a link in the episode I'll, uh, <clears throat> where I explain that. If you don't know what metering modes or light meters are, consult the Google, search photo space, taco space, metering modes, check out the show notes for a link to the episode where I explain EV. All right, when you set up the bracketing using AEB controls, you get that exact same scale on the menu item on the back of the LCD, back LCD screen on the camera. And you can tell the camera how far above and below middle you want to go when creating the bracketed shots. So as I rotate the wheel on the top of the camera, there are these two red lines that move away from the zero in the middle. They move one third of a stop with each click. One third of an EV, we'll say, with each click of the wheel. And I can move the brackets all the way from only one third if I wanted to go there. And I don't think know why you would ever want to do that. But you can move it one third or all the way out to eight full EV stops. And Rob wants to know how far apart those lines should be from the middle. The simplest answer is two EV, two stop bracketing. So I'd rotate the wheel until the two red lines moved away from the zero in the middle to the minus two on the left and the plus two on the right. This is gonna be a good starting point for the vast majority of high dynamic range scenes they may be trying to capture. And actually most software is kind of built to handle two EV, three bracketed shots, two EV apart. They're kind of focused on that because it tends to be such a good generalized setting that's gonna be really common. So they spend a lot of time baking that into software so that it handles that really, really well. Will it be enough in every situation? No, no it won't. But let's consider a little more detail of what's going on here. And let's use an older, less capable camera model as we dive in here. And uh, let's talk about the Canon T3i. I've owned the Canon T3i for a very long time. I loved that little camera. Um, it was a great, great camera. It was released back in February 2011. And Mark rated the 18 megapixel crop sensor in that camera as having a dynamic range of 11.5 EV. That's a surprising amount of room in a RAW file for capturing light. It's amazing how that camera, the sensor that old in that camera, still did an incredible job of capturing a lot of light. It did a great, great job. The thing that the number doesn't show, however, is the quality of the darker parts of the image. And that's where the T3 can re T3i really kind of struggled when I had that camera. Even at ISO 100, the amount of noise that would show up in the shadows as you boost them up in post, 
it became pretty noticeable really fast, which limits the practical usage of that dynamic range. If you're trying to push those pixels in post, wow, that's a lot of peas. <laughs> trying to push those pixels in post, then you uh, you can see the noise. It just really becomes a problem fast. So it, it really didn't feel like it had a full 11.5 EV of dynamic range. Now, to kind of compare that, I can't find anything definitive that says what it is, but it seems like there's a pretty good consensus that with the way that the human eye adapts so quickly as we change what it is we are focusing on and looking at, we kind of see, we think that we see about the equivalent range of about 24 EV. So even if the shadows were like excellent, let's say it's just perfect across that 11.5 EV of dynamic range in that sensor, it still would only be capable of capturing like less than half the dynamic range our eyes see because they can adjust really, really fast as we dart around looking at a scene. So how does the dynamic range change? If you take three bracketed shots, one at minus two EV, one at zero, and one at plus two EV. Well, you're, add, you're doing two EV on either end, so you're adding four EV to the total dynamic range when you merge them together. At a normal exposure, you could normally handle about eh, five EV, plus five EV of the brightest light, but with that minus two EV shot, you now have room for that light at plus seven EV. You expanded the room of how much dynamic range by two EV on the end out to seven, plus seven EV. And then of course the opposite where the EV you normally get like, you know, minus five EV on the single raw file image and you have the plus two EV shot, you now get a minus seven EV of, le of less light detail, of shadow detail. It doesn't lend itself to talk through it as well as the highlight does. It gives you approximately kind of the end result, 18 EVs in the case of the T3i. Still only about like 75% of the dynamic range our eyes can see, but that's a big improvement over the 50% we had before. And the other advantage is those shadows really see a significant difference in how well they, they can be boosted now with a lot less noise and more detail. In essence, you're, you, you can use post-processing technique to exchange time for what a better sensor may be able to do without the bracketing. Okay, so two EV apart is a good starting point, but it might not be enough for every situation. How can you tell when it won't? Well, the way I do this is by shooting the three bracketed shots two EV apart. That's my default. It's a starting point. It's where I go. And then I know, and I've practiced enough with it, I know I can change my settings really fast and try to get more if I need it. So I will take the three shots, and then I'll check the histogram. On the minus two EV and the plus two EV shots, I check to see how the highlights and shadows look. If the histogram on the minus two EV is not touching on the right hand side, and the plus two EV is not touching on the left hand side, then your bracketing sufficient. You caught all of the dynamic range and you're good. If they are still touching, then I know I need more and I may just manually take the frame. So tripod here is definitely what you need. If you're hand holding, it's not gonna work. You're gonna have to kind of change the settings. Hopefully you, you can take more than just three shots. 
Um, but especially, but on a tripod, if I had it and I just barely took the picture and I checked the histograms and I tried really hard to keep the camera right where it was, then I might just manually change the exposure to get kind of another minus another EV on the end or something like that and see if I can get it all in. Hopefully that makes sense. All right. But there is a challenge with this, <laughs> especially with more inexpensive cameras, you don't really have a better option because you only have three shot bracketing. In fact, some of them may not support bracketing at all on some of the more, uh, the less expensive models. It doesn't make any sense to me why this is the case. It's an artificial limitation put into the software. And I know for certain it's only a software thing because if you use Magic Lantern alternative firmware on any of those inexpensive Canon cameras, you get the ability to do nine shot bracketing. Not only that, the Magic Lantern firmware also has this thing called auto bracketing, where it will take the first frame, it will analyze the histogram, and it will, based on the information in that histogram, it will figure out for you how many shots it should bracket. It's, that's crazy cool. Why doesn't Canon put this in their cameras? Uh, all right, I guess they're trying to sell more expensive versions of their cameras where, oh, if you if you buy the, the more expensive one, we'll let you do five, seven, nine bracketing, bracketed images. Ooh, that's a reason to upgrade. Uh, just, just really bothers me. That just stinks. Artificial limitation in the software. All right, let's move on. The next question people often ask then is, well, when would you do more than the traditional three bracketed shots? Or actually it would be, when do you do, when you do more, sorry. The next question people often ask is, when you do more than the three bracketed shots, should you still do the two EV separation between them? And the answer is probably not. Because you probably don't need to get all the way out to the edges that extreme. Maybe, but probably not. Let's go through an example. Let's say, for example, you want to do a five bracketed shot where you take two on the left hand side of the EV scale. Let's say one at minus one EV and one at minus two EV. Then you have the middle shot and then you have the two on the right hand side at plus one EV and plus two EV. Wouldn't it seem to make sense that the software would have more information to use to make even smoother transitions as you go from the brightest areas through the midtones into the darkest areas of the photo? And the answer is, uh, yeah, <laughs> the more the data, the better for these software programs that try to help you merge things together. And the, that's how the majority of them work. They'll handle that just fine. And it probably could improve the transition areas. So the stuff looks more natural, looks, it looks more like you'd expect it to maybe less like one of those overdone HDR photos. So given that that's the case, why is it that the advice I gave you is not to do five shots? Why wouldn't that be the advice? Five shots with one EV separation. It gives you the same end result dynamic range, but it gives the computer and the software more information to play with so that it can make the transitions between the different tonal zones look more seamless. Well, first off, as I've done my own testing and in preparation for this podcast, I've gone out and looked at a whole bunch of other testing other photographers have done. The difference is really minimal, <laughs> really, really small. I'm talking like pixel peeping at the 200% kind of minimal. 
not always, but that's kind of the general conclusion that I've had on my own work. And as I've read out, read other photographers things, you really, ah, it's hard to tell the difference. You have to add three more frames to your memory card. You're adding more frames on your hard drive. You're adding more time in post-processing. Granted, it's probably not that much, but you know, as you do a whole bunch of shoots in a single night, that it adds up. And over time on your hard drive, it, it adds up. All these raw files, they start to stack up and it, it makes a difference. Uh, and so for the, the tiny bit of difference that it makes in the end result of the shot when you've merged it together, it's probably not worth it. That's why I think it's just fine to start with the three bracketed shots, especially because you're more likely to have that be available to you right in the camera firmware you've got rather than having to do something different of like shooting the brackets manually or hacking the firmware <laughs> to get the capability to do more. Now, don't get me wrong. I believe there are scenes where going all the way up to nine brackets may be what is required to produce an end result that you're going for. A, a cathedral in the uh, middle of the day. I don't know. I don't know what exact scenario it would be. Because um, I've really been happy with three shots, two EV apart. But I have had some where I did find it nice to have the five five brackets, one EV apart. Um, so it just kind of depends on, on what you're going for and, and how comfortable you are that you've got it. If you're worried about it, if you think, I just don't know if this is going to do it. Or there might be, I, I might need more transition information in my raw, in my, sorry, my merged HDR. And you have the capability for five, ah, shoot the five. That's fine. Five bracketed shots, one EV apart, shoot it. Or nine, do the nine bracketed shots, one EV apart. Then you got all kinds of choices you can do when you're, when you're putting it together in post. If you're worried, yeah, sure, take the shots. But in my experience, three bracketed shots, two EV apart, does it most of the time. The other reason not to do more shots is the problem with ghosting. Now, ghosting is the term used to describe the problem when something in the scene moves between the bracketed shots. It's called this because the final image, it kind of looks a little bit like a ghost is in the picture. And it looks funny, it looks strange. Sometimes it works in the photo, but most of the time it doesn't. And it just makes your photo look like it was an HDR photo. You can certainly get that in three shot bracketing too. You're clicking the shutter three times after all. So of course something can move, especially apparent when there's like leaves or grass or vegetation kind of blowing in the wind. Then even in a three frame shot, you can have it just be a problem. The more frames you take though, the more opportunity there is for something to move and cause a ghosting problem. So another reason to maybe go with the three bracketed shots, if you're shooting something that's got wind happening, Maybe sporadic wind, not constant wind, but sporadically there's wind. You might sneak away with a three-bracketed shot and you're pushing your luck to try to get five, seven, or nine. So that would be a time that you would want to choose to just keep with three. And again, three tends to work really well for a lot of situations. I've had a bunch of shots of mine get ruined where even the three-bracketed shot, the grass was moving so much that it just wasn't worth it to have the ghosting in the grass it became super visible, like became the focus of the photo was what's going on with the grass that looks so weird. And I'd rather give up the higher dynamic range that I could get than have the ghosting. So anyway, that's kind of how I'm seeing that. 
All right. Well, time is kind of up on this episode, so I think we are going to call it for today. In summary, you use bracketing to extend beyond the limits of dynamic range of your camera. The best starting point is three bracketed shots, two EV apart. Adjusting from there, if the histogram on the bracketed shots tells you that there's still more dynamic range when you go look at the minus two and plus two shots. All right. Thank you so much for joining me. As always, I encourage you to check out the other podcasts on the Improved Photography Network, Portrait Sessions, Tripod, Improved Photography, wonderful podcasts. You got to go check those out. Also take some time to head over to the mothership, improvephotography.com. Constant article updates that are happening there. Great way to do some reading rather than some listening. If you have that time, your browser should be set to open that up every single morning if you're a photographer. It is the best way to improve your photography. Views expressed on this program by independent host guests and callers do not necessarily reflect their views of improved photography LLC or its advertisers. Some links mentioned on this program are affiliate links where a permission is earned. Olay!